This episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. One of the best things I've ever done for my own climbing was to build a climbing wall in my garage. It was so easy to stick to a consistent training schedule. Once I had that thing, I always had really high quality sessions on my own wall because there's no distractions out there. And I got really strong the two winters that I climbed on my home wall. But it's a ton of work to build your own home wall. First, you have to design the thing. Then you have to build it. Then you have to figure out which holds you want and order tons of holds and bolts. Then you have to set all the boulder problems and routes. And for you guys, if you have a full-time job or kids, I'm guessing you don't have time to do all that. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper Climbing designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home. And the best part is they did such a good job with the hold shaping and the layout. The Grasshopper board will be right for you whether you are a beginner or you climb V15. It's so efficient, it's so good for training, and most importantly, it's so much fun to climb on. But don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out for yourself. If you want to learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Check out their boards and reach out to their sales team to see which board solution is right for you. And be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8 by 10 foot Grasshopper board. $500 or more if you upgrade. Again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the Grasshopper Board. This episode is also brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I've seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you are a self-coached climber or you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you're getting interested in training for the first time, Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there on your phone in the app. All the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches. Tom Randall, who many of you will know as one of the wide boys, and his partner, Ollie Tor, who's a former gymnast of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to help you improve your endurance, your power endurance, your strength, your power, conditioning, mobility, finger strength, you name it, all of it is in the app, and it's all for free. With Crimped, Training on your own has never been easier. So check out Crimped. That's crimped.com, spelled C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store to get started with your training. And finally, this episode is brought to you by FizzyVantage. I've been taking the FizzyVantage supercharged collagen every day for at least six months now, and I love knowing that my tendons and ligaments have all of the things they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based, athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in your connective tissues and the force transfer matrix of your muscles. What the hell does all that mean? Well, what it means to me is that if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. I personally take collagen an hour before my finger training to get the most out of my training. I'm still working on my one arm hangs and making steady progress. I still have a long way to go, but I'm making great progress and I definitely think the extra collagen is helping. My fingers also feel super healthy and bulletproof right now. If you would like to try the supercharged collagen or any other Fizzy Vantage products, head over to fizzyvantage.com, use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com, use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your order.
Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt. And today's episode is actually a repost of a recent interview that I did on the Clipping Chains podcast. I sat down with my friend Chad Andrews in St. George, Utah about a month ago and recorded this one. And yeah, I just really enjoyed this conversation and thought it'd be really fun to share. For those of you who are interested in learning more about my story, I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. If you've been listening for a long time, I talked about a lot of things in this conversation that I haven't covered much before, so I think you'll still find it very interesting. And if you're somewhat new to the podcast and don't know that much about my story, we talked about leaving my engineering job, moving into a van, how the podcast got started. And we talked a lot about the business side of it. We talked about monetization and the Patreon and how all those ideas kind of came to be and how things are going and how they've changed over time. One thing I want to mention is that we talked really openly about money in this conversation. For those of you who don't know, that's Chad's whole thing. He talks a lot about personal finances and tries to give his listeners and his readers the tools to build the life that they dream of living, whether that's reaching certain financial goals or just freedom or just like the lifestyle that they want to live. So I wanted to be really open about money in this conversation. And I also want to be really transparent with you guys. So we talked about that and how the podcast is doing, how I'm doing financially and where it's at as a business. And we also talked about rock climbing. We talked about how my climbing has changed in the two years of living on the road and getting all this amazing advice from all of the guests that I've interviewed. And at the very end, Chad asked me to share some of the key climbing principles that I think I've learned from doing this show for two years. And I liked my answer when I listened back. So I think a lot of you will find that helpful as well if you listen to the very end of this conversation. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. And if you do, be sure to check out Clipping Chains. Chad's doing awesome work. I really like this guy. I really like what he's about. He's doing a great job with his own podcast. And it's a really great listen. It's really different from what I'm doing. Chad's been hard at work. He's knocked out a bunch of great interviews already. Some names that you'll definitely recognize from this show. He's had Steve Bechtel on, he's had Mike Doyle, and he's covering very different topics than I typically cover on this show. So yeah, be sure to check him out and support his work. You can find him at clippingchains.com or just type in Clipping Chains into your podcast app and it should pop right up. Final thing I'll mention is that for this interview, Chad stole my sound check question. So we kicked it off talking about what I had for breakfast the morning of the interview. All right, hope you enjoy. Okay. But seriously, what'd you have for breakfast? <laughs> um, have you heard of the meat and nuts breakfast? Meat and nuts? Meat and nuts breakfast. No, I'm gonna sound tell like me. A lunatic to your listeners if you use oh, this. Dude, this but, is your specialty. Yeah. So um, I got this from a strength coach named Charles Poliquin. Okay. And you take a, um, a, a pad of butter, heat that up on in a frying pan, heat that up on the stove. Then you brown some nuts into it. Like I use raw cashews or pecans or those are my go-tos, but you can use other ones. Macadamia nuts are really good too. 
Yeah, you just kind of brown those, get them to be like this really nice nutty flavor. And then you cook some like ground beef or other meat of choice into that. And it's just like this very protein rich, very like warm, nutty. So it's just breakfast. nuts and meat. That's it. <laughs> and salt. Yeah. Yeah. And sea salt. It sounds crazy, but it's actually delicious. So I'll usually do that and then a couple of pieces of fruit. So do you do you do do you do like a standard breakfast like first thing in the morning? Yeah. Okay. Usually. I've actually been wondering about this and maybe you've talked to enough people. Maybe you can help me. I've been trying to not, so I would get sick, not sick. I would just get an upset stomach if I ate first thing in the morning. And I thought it was just me. And that's just how it always was. And I just, maybe it was the food I was eating, but then I, someone told me to, why don't you try waiting until maybe 10 AM or something and try eating. And I, I did that and it helped a lot. But then this season I've been, just feeling off. And I don't know, I've added strength training. I've added a few other things into my schedule that maybe that's part of it. But um, I, I keep wondering, like maybe I should just go back to a traditional breakfast. And, and mm. of all the people you've talked to, does, does anyone like endorse this kind of intermittent fasting thing as like serious climbers? Mm. I mean, Dave McLeod comes to that's mind. True. That's yeah, true. Yeah, he's probably the only one. Um, not the only one. He's the first one that comes to mind. I think John Glassberg does that too. Like he'll wait till noon until okay. he eats. But- it just it just depends, man. I I've tried a lot of different things, and I think, um, I mean, it's amazing how adaptable we are. Yeah. You know, our bodies can adapt to just about anything, and it's it seems to be just super individual. Like every person kind of has to do some n of one experimentation and figure out what works best for them. And it's really hard because the like it moves. You know, right. like <laughs> you find something that works, and then six months later, it's like, damn, this isn't working anymore. And experimenting scary because you're like, well, I have one shot at this season or whatever. And I don't want to like, <laughs> right? you know, like make this grand experiment and blow my whole season. And that's some, sometimes lately I've been feeling like that. I think it works. I feel very energetic. I think I just need to add more calories to each meal. I think I okay. may be falling in a calorie deficit because I used to be like the five meal a day kind of person. Mm. And now it's three meals a day, but I need to make them bigger. So yeah, that's an aside. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's like, I think it's, I think we underestimate how much we're burning as climbers, like hiking to the crack, yeah. doing three pitches. That's still a huge day, you know, and it's easy to write it off because it's, it feels like nothing compared to like a hard moonboard session, but right. being outside all day in the cold and that hike and everything, I think we drastically underestimate it. And I think it's way more calories than a you know, a work day plus a gym session in the oh, evening. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I've been going up to the Wailing Wall, you'll be familiar with around here. It's that it's that place, huge approach, hard climbs, cold and windy. It's just a full-on calorie expenditure. And I think I've been kind of coming up short. Mm. Anyway. Do you ever track it? No. I think that, I, <laughs> there you I go. I have, I have. There you go. I don't, it didn't feel healthy to me to track it. Right. And no. so I just felt like a lunatic. I mean, you talk about feeling like a lunatic, counting your calories to me makes me feel like a lunatic. I get that. Nothing against anyone who does it. It just, for me, it makes me feel like I've lost the forest for the trees because I had this background in food. I love food. I don't want it to be this unhealthy, like calorie counting thing. And right. It's just personal I, preference. I mean- I, yeah, I hear that. I think that's really important. Um, but I think just like getting some getting some baselines can be really helpful. You I think know? you're right. And then like yeah. you don't have to give yourself a prescription for how to eat, but just yeah. like figure out where you're at. Because you might, 
It might be something really simple, like, oh, I'm eating 2,000 calories a day, but I'm yeah. a grown man and <laughs> probably should be closer to 3,000 calories a day, you know? That's, and it has been enlightening when I've done it in the past. I would, um, I'd do it for like two weeks, maybe just a week, just to see where I'm falling. And I'd be like, whoa, I eat way too much fat. Like I'm not getting enough ca- carbs. And I would address that and then I would quickly stop it. And that, I, I do think it's healthy there, but um, I just didn't want to be in a phase of just doing it always and... I don't know. And then I, I just feel like food is so important to enjoy life for me personally. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if I just am just a climber obsessed with calories, then it doesn't feel wholesome to me. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I hear you. You're right. It's a good first question to ask. It's all kinds of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Unfortunately, you came on as my very last written interview about a year ago. And I wish you would have been here for a podcast. So now we're doing it anyway. And uh, we talked a, a bit about just the genesis of you starting this podcast and leaving your job. And you've now had a lot of time to talk about that. And I don't want to rehash too much of this, but one burning question I've had, because I've in a similar life mode for different reasons, you have the ability to climb all the time. And after two years of doing this, do you think this ability to climb full time has made you What's, what's the result of the experiment? Do you think you're a better climber now? <laughs> I'm slightly better than Ooh. I was two years ago. <laughs> it's no, interesting, I'm, man. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Um, yeah, it is really interesting. I think it's, I, I mean, I think every strong climber I meet has put the time in mm-hmm. and they've climbed a lot. They've spent a lot of time climbing on rock. I'm talking about rock climbers, yeah. like people that yeah. you see out there at the cliff sending 514 they have put the time in, they prioritize it like crazy. You know, it's, it's like, we're all obsessed climbers, but um, I often have this moment when I meet people that are really good and, and actually go climbing with them where it really hits you, like how obsessed they are. You know, they all have that in common, but it's, um, it brings with it its own challenges. Like I've, I'm someone who's always struggled with finger strength. That's my weakest link. And I don't think exclusively climbing on rock all year round every year is the best way to fix that problem. Um, it takes a lot more time and training and going to the gym and things like that. And it, yeah, I don't know. So it's been really helpful for me. I've kind of been like reinventing myself as a climber in the last few years and being on the road has given me the opportunity to do that because I can finally go climb in lots of steep places So that's been the biggest thing for me is just like the first time I came out here, it was right after I started the podcast and I climbed in the hurricane and I completely got my ass kicked. I couldn't do anything in there and I still get my ass kicked in the hurricane, but I've come a long way. I just was there yesterday and I've come a long way in that style from where I was at when I left Smith Rock, which just makes sense, you know? Yeah. And I think that that steep style, like if you can travel and climb on steep stuff most of the year, this is something I've been noticing recently. I think a lot of the supplement, the supplemental training stuff becomes a lot less important. Like you're hitting yeah. more of the bases. And then if you want to climb something more vertical and techy, then it's just a skill thing, but you have like the body strength to do it probably, hmm. you know? When you left Ben, did you anticipate just climbing full time or did you think you were going to I don't know, train one day a week or train in cycles. What did you think? Cause you were like me, we both love training and it fit with a nine to five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what was your expectation of like letting that go completely? Yeah. For a time. Yeah. I was like, I've been, okay. I've been working my butt off for years. Time to like reap the fruits of that yeah. time to go out on the road and 
climb all these awesome things that I've been thinking about for all these years, you know? So I told myself like, don't put any pressure on the training, getting stronger, the long view for the next year and just enjoy it. I think I did an okay job of that. I mean, of course I have like a performance oriented podcast and I obsess over this stuff all the time, but yeah, the first year on the road, it was mostly just climbing and getting the mileage in and just really trying to have fun and explore new places. And it's been two years now, two and a half almost. So now it's kind of shifting and I'm, I'm like, oh, I do want to bring some of that stuff back in and find a balance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like kind of turning, I've been kind of like refining my circuit the last couple of years and I'm, I'd like to train. I really like finding places where I feel like I can address a weakness of mine and be climbing on rock. So that's like, spending the winter in Waco. Yeah, totally. And then I'm kind of doing a similar thing in the summer, but I think I want to add like one month or two month long, like base strength phase each year. So it's, it's becoming more of a hybrid. So if someone were looking at an extended road trip, because they're like, this is what's going to make me a really good climber versus a training regime that you have built around a work life or home life. Do you think it's a home run that if they go on this extended road trip, they'll be a better climber or do they have the tools they need to do it in their current lifestyle? If climbing mm-hmm. is like the number one priority. I think it just depends what their background has been. Yeah. You know, yeah. like for me, I think I, I always put a lot of time into climbing on rock. You know, I always sure. made that a priority yep. even when I had a full-time job. So if, you know, there's so many people nowadays that are underperforming based on how strong they are because they spend so much time in the gym and not that much time on rock and they haven't learned the skills. So for that person, yeah, they're going to catch their stride. They're going to get more confident. Yeah. They're going to learn how to relax on the rock. They're going to learn how to relax when they're above their bolt, you know, and climb confidently above their bolt. It's like those little things that can really make a huge difference. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I've met, I mean, going back to what I said earlier, where like, the common denominator is all these strong climbers spend a lot of time climbing. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them, it's a combo, you know, like they don't reach their their own potential without going back and, and investing some time and getting stronger in whatever specific ways they need. Like I've been climbing with Joe Kinder out here. Mm-hmm. He's one of the, you know, top climbers, sport climbers in the country. Um, but to reach 515, he had to start doing training cycles and get psyched on the moon board and start hangboarding and things like that. You know, he wasn't far off from that with only climbing, but he had to kind of find his own hybrid approach to really max himself out. You yeah. Know? And he was famous, like not into training at totally. all, as far as I could tell. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But people lose that. Like that was two decades, you know, right. it was like two or three decades of just rock <laughs> climbing. And, and yep. I think people see that he's training now and they're like, oh, training's the thing. And it's like, well, n- you know, it is kind of, it's not kind of like he yeah. put all the time in first on the rock. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got right into this with very nugget type conversation. <laughs> so you are, you're the founder, you're the host of the nugget climbing podcast. You've had what, over a million downloads now. I mean, you've done very well for a pretty niche podcast about rock climbers. Thanks man. And, and so when I first connected with you and I think right around when you were starting, this was early in 2020, I could tell you were going to be good at this because you had those kind of attributes about you. You did your homework. You, I mean, just in the couple conversations we had, I mean, you had already kind of dug and I could tell you just, you were a curious person and that goes so far. So I guess after two years, 
you, I think you told me that when you started this, you thought you'd give it a year. You'd saved enough money. You left your career as an engineer and Ben to do this for a year. At what point did you think you could make this last longer? When that money started coming yeah. in, man. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I had enough money saved up to do it for a year, no matter what happened, uh-huh. right? But the hope was that, um, I mean, the curiosity was like, am I actually going to love doing this? Because I think I am, but you know, who knows? And I don't just mean the podcast. I mean, like living on the road, living this lifestyle, True. traveling all the time. Because I'd tried that before. I didn't have the podcast the first time around. And I just felt, um, I felt burnt out after yeah. six months of traveling. It was just like, man, I want to have community. I want to have a gym. I want to have like Friday night dinner parties with friends and stuff like that. So that was the first thing. Like I'm, I have a year. I feel like it's worth investing a year of my life, even if I feel like I'm burnt out halfway through, like I should commit to a year. That's a, that's like, it'll be memorable. It'll, it'll teach me a lot. And I just kind of rolled right through that, you know, like at the end of the first year, um, I really had a fire under my ass to start thinking about monetization. Like, is there a way to make this sustainable? People seem, it, it seems as though people will be bummed if this thing goes away because mm-hmm. they, they love it. So how do I make it sustainable? So that was kind of um, the start of the Patreon and doing bonus content and things. For those that aren't aware, can you walk through just briefly what the Patreon thing is? I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I put out obviously tons of content for free. Every yeah. Monday I put out a free episode. Um, Patreon is a platform that allows artists or content creators to be paid by their fans directly. So I have a Patreon with different tiers. So for example, someone can sign up for five bucks a month that gets them access to like ad-free episodes to bonus content that I do with yep. people that have been on the show. That's the only way to get it. It supports me. They're in the club. They get cool bonus <laughs> stuff, you know? And then there's like, yeah, I've reiterated a lot. It took a lot of time to kind of dial in what that was going to look like, but the response has been awesome. People, people have been excited to support what I do. Um, I've been able to find bonus things that, get people over the hump of having another subscription to sign up for, you know? And it just feels really good to get direct support from the people that are listening instead of, I mean, I do ads now as well. So I I have um, really cool brand partnerships. Um, In full disclosure, I am a patron. So I have to maybe (laughs) mention my my affiliation here. um, Did I miss anything as far as the Patreon goes? I mean, no, no, that's the gist of it. That's how I view it on my end. Yeah, you get some bonus content, you know, you get the ability to ask you questions and things like that. Um, Yeah, but you mostly are still giving away the bulk of your product for free, which is very cool. I mean, anyone can get, what, I don't know, 80 plus percent of what you put out for free. Right. Still. Right. And so that's cool. So it's not like you've monetized the whole thing. It's not like the nugget is behind a giant paywall, but it's just kind of an extra. Yeah. And it feels, it's really nice because I I had a lot of hangups around that, man. Like I didn't want to put anything behind a paywall because, because I'm, I like love the people that are hungry, that want to learn and they want to hear all these conversations. Um, but it's, it's also like, it's five bucks a month, you know, <laughs> it's, I, I use this catch line. It's like, think of it as a buying me a beer at the bar once a month, you know? And so the, the feedback's been really encouraging and it has really helped me. It's helped actually change the way I think about myself with this whole project, because again and again, I reach out and I say, thank you for signing up. Like it means so much to me. And I mean that. And someone will say, 
oh, dude, like, right. no worries. I've been meaning to do this yep. for months. And yep. it was this follow-up that finally got me to do it. But like, I love your show. Just want you to keep doing it. And it's like, oh, cool. Okay. This is, it's a no-brainer for them. It adds up really quickly for me and makes all the difference. So I didn't know what to expect with that. But, um, you know, I've been doing that for 18 months now, the Patreon. Yeah. And at this point, I think that plus brand sponsorships, I think I'm going to surpass my engineering salary this next really? year. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that? That's where I was wanting to understand. Which is crazy. I had like, I had no idea what the potential was. And I'm just so like, cool. dude, this is, it's so cool. Yeah. Because when I first, well, met you, quote unquote, we talked over the phone. I didn't meet you until a year later, but <clears throat> I was like, this guy is going to have a very successful podcast. I just don't know if he'll be financially successful because I'm right. like, everyone who was doing this before you had some sort of side aspect to this. They'd had a podcast, but they were selling training plans or they were selling, I don't know, what else? Mostly training plans. Or they had a bunch of ads or things like that, big ad sponsors. Or they have another job. Or they, <laughs> or another job. Good yeah. um, and you had quit your job. We're going to move into a van. I'm like, wow, that's like, this guy's really smart. If somebody pulls it off, it'll be Steven. But it's going to be an uphill battle to make enough money to live off of. And I could tell quickly you got to the point where you could at least sustain your life in a van. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He's still young, but you know, someday he's going to want, you talked about one to own a house. Maybe we'll talk about that, but okay. So yeah. How did that happen? You just get enough people psyched to pay that five bucks. Yeah. That's been the bulk of it. That's, okay. the, that's the bulk of it. And I, I mean, again, like I had, I had a couple conversations early on. Like I went out for a beer with Chris Calouse and he was really, um, fourth, of the enormous cast of the enormous yeah. cast. He was really forthcoming and um, kind of gave me some insights. Like, here's my numbers. Here's how much I'm making from these two sponsors I have, and that that was helpful. It was um, it was actually really encouraging because he self admittedly was like, "I'm not good at this side of it. You know, I like doing the show. I don't really like the sponsorship stuff and trying to make money off of it. Like that that's not his skill set. And I from the get go, I decided to treat this like a business. Mm -hmm. You know. And, um, but I don't know. I, I mean, the whole time I was absolutely prepared for it to not work. I was like, <laughs> my first year on the road, I asked everyone that I met that lived in a van what they did. Cause I was just like collecting <laughs> backup plans, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, this guy, these people all seem to do rope rigging and love that. Mm -hmm. So like, that seems like a really, like maybe I could like work for three months and then focus on I the podcast. I remember saying that. That's yeah, right. I, was, yep. I was collecting these kind of like, supplemental backup sort of income streams as options. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe this is an unfair question, but I remember we were talking in my kitchen a year ago. We had you over for dinner and I was asking you about ads and you were like, I don't want to do it. Um, you're <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. I'm not an ad guy, but you've decided to kind of move in that direction. And I don't fault you at all. Cause when you said you weren't going to do it, I was like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> So uh, why did you decide to, because, you know, and we all agree. I mean, people people get distracted by them. You're like, oh, yeah, fast forward, whatever. But so why did you decide to move in that direction? Because I, I it, was a, it was a mental framing shift. Okay. It was a reframe, you know, because I, I realized I was thinking about them all wrong. Um, same as the Patreon. Like, you know, you, you make something, you put it out in the world, and we're all so used to getting things for free. And I, I guess the bigger thing is like, I enjoy doing this podcast. I yeah. really enjoy it. It's a tell. it's a full-time yeah. job, but I enjoy it. So it yeah. almost feels like cheating to to get paid for it. And I know that's like it's bullshit, but that's where 
that's what I was stuck on for a long time. Like, I'm really going to ask people for money to I do this thing. Completely understand. Yeah. Um, but once I started getting that feedback from people that like, hey, we see how much you put into this. We want to support you. Just please keep making this thing. That you know, you hear that enough times, and it really helps you. You you start to internalize it, and you yeah. start to reframe what you're doing, and and you start to realize, like you know, I get all this feedback from people about how much of a difference this podcast has made. You know, a lot of times in their climbing and their training, but a lot of times in their life, mm-hmm. like they're going through a really hard time, and it's like some vulnerable, open conversation with someone that they look up to, like really helps them get through some shit, and. You hear that enough times, you're like, wow, I actually am creating value. Yep. And I'm not like trying to become rich off this thing, but I I do hope to be able to live off it so I can keep doing it and create more value for people. So I had a similar reframe with the ads. It just was, I kind of was thinking of it as like yeah, adding something obnoxious that would take away from the value of the show. Um I don't know. I thought I had to become like a used car salesman to, <laughs> to do ads on the show. And yeah. then I, I, it hit me finally like, no, there's awesome companies out there. There's products that I love that I actually use. And <clears throat> it can create more value for people if I share these awesome products with them and talk about my experience, you know? So that, that's really what it was. And it was just the first couple conversations with some brands I was really excited about what they were doing. They were excited about what I was doing. It felt really collaborative and it's been really positive. I'm like, oh, I can have, I can build partnerships. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't about me trying to make a buck off, right. off a consumer and taking advantage, you know? And I, I don't know why I had such a negative idea in my head around it. We're but, all buying that stuff anyway. So Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's been awesome, yeah. man. It's You're been good. awesome. And I, I'm actually, it's, <laughs> it's really funny because I remember... <laughs> I had a I had one point where I published something on the show. It was like a little trailer for the show. Mm. It's gone now. I deleted it. You can't find it. But it was a trailer for the show and I talked about like how I'm never going to do ads or I'll at least never do mid-roll ads cuz those are so annoying. I'll never like try to partner with like a shoe company cuz I want to be able to ask guests like what they wear and uh, have that be unbiased yeah, and yeah. things. And now I'm like moving into doing mid-roll ads and <laughs> potentially partnering with Sportiva. And it's just like, man, really? what has happened here? Potentially, I'm just oh. talking with them. But I, I, it just, again, it was a reframe. Like, man, I've been using these shoes for over a decade. I, I love them. Guy. I'm yep. a Sportiva guy through and through. And like, why would I not recommend that to people? They're my favorite shoes. Yeah. I'd love to talk about why, you know? So, and then the mid-roll thing, like, well, if you really are bothered by ads, you can get ad-free episodes for five bucks a month. That's there you it. go. Yeah, I so. thought that was actually a really nice touch. When you started doing the ad, you know, for, for those that aren't aware, if you're a patron to the Nugget, you get the ad-free episodes. And, you know, it's a pr- small price to pay if you really hate ads. I think it's a really nice touch. Um, so the bulk of it still comes through Patreon or Patreon? Yeah. That's yeah. cool. It's, well, it's maybe actually two-thirds. Probably okay. two-thirds Patreon, one-third ads. And the ads thing is, is growing. So is your income now exceeding your life costs just living on the road? It is. Cool. Yeah, it is. And that's like, I just kind of crossed that threshold recently. So it all feels, it's super exciting. That's amazing. It's really cool. Congratulations. And I have, I don't have an employee, but I have, um, like I outsource Instagram work to I was gonna a, fr- ask you a friend of mine who helps me with that. They just do it for free? Her name's Stevie. Shout out to Stevie. She does a great job. But um, no, I pay, I pay her and oh, I like, okay. I get to, I just, 
was able to give her a raise recently because oh, I'm like wow. making enough money to pay her to do it because she's killing it, you know? So that that sort of thing and thinking about like other people I can collaborate with to help me do things, to help me do more than I have bandwidth for. Um, it just feels fun. It feels really exciting. I'm very so, happy to hear that. Yeah. I, I, knew, I knew you'd be the guy to do it. I don't want to gush over you too much, but like I said, I mean... So, okay, let's just say that now you've crossed that threshold. That's exciting. You've talked a few times about, I've heard on your Q&A post recently that you're still largely still excited living the way you're living right now. Um, but you've talked about wanting to settle down and maybe have a binary existence of a little bit of house, a little bit of travel. Have you kind of settled on like a time frame for when that would be or where that might be? No, <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. Next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm, I've kind of been like shopping around, yeah. you know, and I have, I have a few favorites. Um, St. George being one of them. Hmm. That's near cool. the top of my list. And what's, what's been interesting is for the longest time I was, you know, looking for a place I'd want to live all year and I would love all year round. Right. Yeah. But now um, because of what I get to do for work, I don't have to think of it that way anymore, you know? So I've been kind of re-examining some options I had crossed off the list. Like, oh, what if I found a place that I really loved in the spring and fall and then I traveled in the yep. summer, winter? So I'm kind of thinking more along those lines these days. And Washington is really high on the list for me because I grew up there. My yep. family's still there. So I, I kind of, I, I'm kind of guessing that I'll buy a house in Washington and mm. put down roots there where I grew up and um, Leavenworth's right there. I absolutely love it there, but I don't have a timeline. I'm just kind of saving money at this point. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of listening to how I feel about being on the road. Like at this point, every time I go to a new place, I'm like, no, this is the place. Like, I love this place, you know? And then I go to the next place. I'm like, actually like the front range is so cool. Like, actually St. George. Yeah. So what that tells me is like, I should just keep being on the road and doing what I'm doing for now. I think that's a good interpretation. I, I, I'm, I think I like, cause I tried the on the road thing and with my wife and I, her not being a climber, it didn't really fit long-term. I think I could have done it longer, but I like having the home base and traveling um, because I, I feel like I need the home life, but I don't know. How many people do you hear from that just think like they want to repeat what you've done? That's interesting in the sense of just the lifestyle thing or, or, or both, maybe not like a podcast per se, but they're like really in love with this idea that you quit your corporate job mm. or whatever, and you've struck it. Maybe, maybe they don't want to live in a van. Maybe they do whatever, but they just want to go and repeat some version of what you've achieved here. Yeah. I, I think I hear from a fair number of people, um, about that. Like they, they're resonating with it and uh -huh. they're, they're either, it either gets them fired up about whatever their thing is, or yeah. they're like seeking, you know, they're like really trying to find that thing that's going to light them up that they can make and, and contribute. Um, but I, I also hear from a lot of people who are clearly, uh, from my perspective, like they're really romanticizing the van life thing. Yeah. That's always interesting. Like, <laughs> cause it sounds glorious. It for, does. Kind of, but, um, if you really think about the day-to-day -day and what happens when your van's in the shop and all of a sudden you don't have a car or a house because yeah. your van's getting fixed, like, you know, things like that. Um, I guess I've met quite a number of people that have struck out on the road thinking it's going to be like this dream life thing and have been very disappointed with the reality of it yeah. and have very quickly gone back to 
a normal life. Yeah. So why do you think you've been able to last two years and counting on it then? Mm, I'm single. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, I mean, I'm is single, it that's, doing it on your own terms? Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. I'm single. I'm kind of like, um, yeah, I'm single. I don't have kids. I don't have a dog. Those things are huge as far as the freedom. Yep. Um, I'm kind of thinking of this time in my life as being about building something that will last, building the podcast, investing in myself, and and honestly, like letting myself be pretty selfish with my time, you know? So yeah. my whole life is focused around what I want to climb and what I want to get better at. And that, you know, the climbing's worth it, I guess. Like if I, I, I can't really imagine being a van lifer and not having climbing. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I said the same thing. I, I don't know what they do. There's always so many hikes you can do. Yeah, yeah. I think they just take Instagram photos on the yeah. beach. I, I've, I've always struggled with that too. But the climbing makes it worth it, you know? So, okay. Here's a, here's a money question actually. So do you mind me asking, how did you get, how did you pay for your van? Did you buy it outright or did you have a lease on it? So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, my parents were very generous and gave me an interest-free loan. Okay. That's, yeah. No, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So, because there's a, I, what the thing that kind of annoys me and I see often glorified is how cheap it is once you're out there, which is true. Right. But it, it seems to always ignore this massive upfront cost. Right. Um, how long do you think, I don't know, have you ever run the numbers on how long you would need to live in it full time to like break even if you would have just kept renting in band? I mean, the math's not that complicated. Like no, my, it's not. My van, I bought a Dodge ProMaster, 2014 uh-huh. Dodge ProMaster. I put 18K into the build. So the whole van was a little over 40,000, 40, including everything, right? right. Um, I had money saved up. I paid off the build right up front, still paying my parents back. Okay. So, you know, it's just whatever, how, you know, how, how much you save in rent per year and then just figure out how many years it takes. So it's, you know call it 600 bucks a month in Bend, living with my friend who owned a house, which mm-hmm. was a great deal. It's hard to beat that. That's a really great deal. But, you know, that's what, 7,200 a year. So, five, okay, six so years. Okay, so 7,200, yeah, so about, that's... But there's also some equity. Like, especially yeah. in the market right now, I would be shocked if I... I would expect to sell the van for 40,000. You could probably sell it for whatever you paid it for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right now. Yeah, so... This is kind of exceptional times, but... Yeah, right. True. Right. So yeah, that kind of skews the numbers. I don't know totally how to think about that, but... No, I think it's... I, I just think it's worth pausing on from time to time because I'll see people... I see this a lot where people... Same thing you said, glorify it, go on the road for six months, but like, it's not for me, and have put a lot of money into a vehicle, whether it's in a camper, RV, whatever... And and then have this thing kind of collected dust. So you're at least living in it. You're getting your money's worth, and so that's good to hear. And you'll even if you moved into a house tomorrow, you'll still have this. You'll travel a good chunk of the year because you're able to. Right. Speaking of your parents, what did your parents think when you told them you were going to quit your job as an engineer, move into a van, and start a climbing podcast? <laughs> they were they were just glad that I did it in that order. Okay. You know, the, like I'd put the time in. I mean, at this point, I have enough of I have enough on my resume that if I really needed to, yeah. I could go back to what I was doing before, you know? And so I think they just encouraged me to not burn any bridges, which I wasn't planning to do anyway. Um, My mom was really sweet and and funny. She really wanted me to get 
a letter of recommendation from my boss before I left, you know? Oh, good idea. Just to have that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't end up doing that. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, man, that just feels, cause here's why actually I want to, I want to talk about this. Cause yeah, that's a good, that's a smart move. That's safe, you know, but that felt like keeping a foot out the door mm-hmm. and with something creative like this, where you're taking a big leap and you're going to try to make something and give it to a lot of people. That's such a vulnerable, scary thing. Like our brain is looking for excuses to not do that. Right. So I think the more backup plans and safety net sort of things we put in place, it's, it's almost, it's like too much of a crutch. I think it um, can hinder our creative potential. Yeah. So it felt important to me to dive in to the deep end. And I, I knew that I'd be able to find something, you know, like I figured that I would meet so many people in this year, in the first year, make so many connections, like worst case scenario, I could work at a little climbing shop somewhere, or I could, you know, make some widgets for who knows, BD or Metolius or or one of these companies and save money back, you know, find my way back into aerospace. More, more likely than that, I'd probably be able to just go right back to a better job than I had before, you know? And new boss would be like, oh, that's a really cool life experience that you had, <laughs> right? So- Welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So- um, I, I admire it. I mean, because I'm that guy and my wife even more so, safety net, safety net, safety net. Mm. I mean, that's why I didn't walk away from my job until I had, I mean, you talked about having a safety net. You said you saved, I think $20,000 for a year. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that was my safety net. Like me, I wouldn't- that Well, have, I should clarify. I okay. mean, that, that was my like- that was like the money sitting in my bank account that I could spend on this trip. I also had, you know, I have a 401k. Okay. Um, okay. I, like if I absolutely needed to, I'd be good for qu- quite a long time. Okay. Yeah. No, that's worth knowing. Okay. So you weren't just totally winging it. Like you didn't have just a year's worth. I wasn't burning down to the last dollar. Okay. No, okay. I had a big buffer. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it, it's interesting. And I feel con- often conflicted running the platform I run because Half of what I preach is, you know, some sort of financial security and putting systems in place to save money and not be kind of fragile in that sense. But I also know that the bulk of the people I'm speaking to really put high value on life experience and things like what you're doing. So I often kind of feel conflicted in this middle zone of like, am I being too dad with people and telling them, hey, son, you need to just keep at that job and just keep saving because I know stories like yours are very inspiring. And that's kind of why I was kind of digging at that. Like how many people are asking you, about this lifestyle, you know, and I think we've both read a lot of Cal Newport. We've talked about this before. We've talked about yeah. this being this like so good, you can't be ignored, which I've said you've done a very good job with. But that book, actually, the book that phrase comes from, and I think it's the title of the book, um, So Good, or no. So Good They Can't Ignore yeah, You. Yeah, So Good They Can't Ignore You. He actually goes into a lot of history in the 80s and 90s, how parents started telling their kids to chase your passions and chase your dreams, which he says is misguided. And he says, it's all about being a craftsman and getting really good at a narrow set of skills that gives you career capital and kind of isn't necessarily your passion, but that you get a very highly valued skill set. Mm. So where does, how does that resonate with you? Cause you're kind of got like one foot in one side and one foot in the other. I mean, you've got this podcast and you're getting, you're becoming a craftsman with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you also kind of are like, Hey, I don't want to work this corporate job. I want to kind of chase a passion. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, man. Um, I'm kind of 
I'll just think out loud. Sure. And Go for it. <laughs> Because this is like, I'm uh, always kind of stuck between this. Yeah, hope, hopefully whatever I come up with makes some sort of sense. But um, I, I think it, he's right. And I think his perspective like resonates with me big time. And I think if I were to like listen to those parents' advice from the 80s and 90s and just mm -hmm. throw caution to the wind and pursue my passion, that would be like me trying to become a pro rock climber. Mm. You know, yeah. with no real plan, like no real foundation of expertise to fall back on. Yep. That was a dream of mine, kind of, for yeah. a long time. I thought that would be so cool, but um, but I'm not, I'm not that person, you know, like that's yeah. So the podcast thing is more like I recognized a need that I was feeling. I suspected that other people had that need. I mean, because I say like, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know how many people would want to listen. All that is true. Mm -hmm. But I did also suspect that a lot of people out there were like me. They had the same curiosities about these amazing rock climbers and, and right. guests that their burning curiosities weren't being addressed by the questions that were being asked on other shows, um, that they wanted more of like the gritty detail about these people. And, and how they became who they became and what else was going on in their life beyond just hanging on a hangboard, you know? Yeah. So, and I was right. I, I was right about that. A lot of those people were out there. So it was a calculated plan. And then I, I invested. I didn't just leave my job and like, oh, how do you make a podcast? I'll just like <laughs> record this on my phone and put it on the internet. Like I, I did the homework, you know? I was like, what is it gonna take to make this thing sound as good as my favorite ones that are out there. And it, I really, what I'm saying is I really treated it like a craft and decided to commit to honing my craft and, and Absolutely. continuing that as long as I could. Like either I was going to get good enough at it that I would become good enough that people would, wouldn't ignore it. Yep. And then I just hoped that I would be able to figure out how to um, monetize that and make it sustainable. Or I wouldn't, in which case it would be a really great learning experience and I would figure out the next thing to try. Hmm. So what was that process like for you? I mean, how long did you kind of moonlight this and how much effort were you putting in before you decide to put in the two-week notice? So I, I think I had the light bulb moment for making the podcast a year before I actually published anything. So it was, it was germinating for that amount of time. Um, I don't remember exactly when I actually bought equipment, but it was probably close to six months before I published anything. Hmm. I recorded at least three episodes before I was even, before I even had like a published date, hmm. you know, maybe even more because I wanted to make sure I liked it. I wanted right. to make sure I enjoyed it. I had a sense of what it was going to feel like and um, what I might be able to bring to the table as an interviewer, just because I was very curious. Um, and, and as you say, I, I knew that goes a long way. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I started interviewing people in November and I think before that I was starting to do research, but it was like October, November, December, January of just figuring out how to make a professional sounding podcast and getting practice. And then I published in February of 2020. That's impressive. So you were literally like working on this for six months before... At I least. think I think so. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, 
if someone were to email you today or you see them at the crag and like, dude, you quit your job. I love that. Like, I want to do the same. Would you encourage them or would you ask more questions about what, I don't know, you know, I know people have got to be like, wow, yeah, Stephen made it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Just make educated decisions. Um, Like I, I I didn't want, I don't, I've been very fortunate in my life to not have money stress Mm. and I really wanted to keep it that way. So I did what it took to not have money stress. Mm-hmm. You know, I took as much time as it as it as as I needed to take to give myself a buffer where I didn't feel like I have to figure out how to make this work immediately. Yeah. I think that's the key, man. And it we is. talked about this early I, on. Yeah. I'd be stressed out trying to make this thing, you know, and I, I wouldn't have the time to um to commit to honing the craft of podcasting and interviewing and be trying to figure out how to pay the next bill if I was short on cash, you know? Yep. I think you were really smart to give yourself at least a year to, you know, have any money coming in. Cause you didn't even try and monetize it for what, the first six months at all. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that was smart. And, and by the time you started asking for a dime, I mean, you, I think you probably already had a decent following and people clearly were interested. So yeah, kudos. Um, you mentioned community on the road and you've talked and I've heard people ask you about this. You've done Q and A's where you're asked about this. And I was asked about it a lot too. You're an introverted person. You've said that many times. Do you think now, you know, you said you would miss the Friday night dinners and stuff. Do you think you can really replicate that on the road? I mean, have you been able to, or does it kind of come in waves? Well, it's, it's an interesting time to ask that because I hit the road and COVID came like a month later. Right. So, (laughs) um, so I went through, you know, my, my experience living on the road was if anything, probably richer in community than what most people were going through That's true. being trapped yep. in their houses. So I, I felt really lucky with that, but you know, with that has come this weird shift into more and more digital connection. And that's, I don't know, like it's not the same obviously, but it, it kind of fills some of that need. And I feel, um, I feel surprised at how much fulfillment I feel in connection and community to other people digitally. Like mm-hmm. a lot of it is through um, people that I've met along the way, guests I've gotten to know through the show and people listening. I mean, like having so many people that listen and that um, that resonate with the show, like those people just feel like close friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like if they connect with it, then we have a lot in common. So uh, yeah, I've been surprised. I feel like I'm a lot more grounded in a tribe than I've ever felt before hmm. from having this from having this podcast. And then um, you know, living on the road, I've, I've been climbing for so long. Like I know people everywhere. So there's always, yeah. there's always friends. There's always reconnections. There's always like seeing acquaintance, acquaintances that you've met before and turning those into like lifelong friends. And um, I think the first time I hit the road, I, I, I lacked like some of the grounding, you know, mm-hmm. like people are kind of in and out of your life really quickly yeah. and it feels transient. And this time around, I feel like I have a much more solid base. And then um, I get to kind of focus in on the few people that are around in any given season, right? And like really kind of go deeper into the friendships that are the people camp next to me in Waco, for instance, or the few friends that I have here in St. George, you know, like really spend time with them while I'm here. Mm-hmm. So um, that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's one different of those, though. It is it's, different, it's exactly. Different. I mean, yeah. I felt the same way. I was on the road during COVID that summer of 2020, 
And I was getting to hang out with a lot of new people and I was not going to be doing that back home in Denver. You know, we were all locked in our houses. I mean, some people were getting out a little bit, but it was very limited. So for a while, I felt like I had a better social life. But then it depended where we went. We went in some more obscure places that weren't on like the climber road trip circuit. And it was a little bit more of a kind of lonelier existence. And yeah, I just didn't know. I mean, you're obviously like, I don't know, maybe you're in a phase in your life where you enjoy being single, but I imagine that could be a challenge if you wanted to. And you've talked about this a bit. You know, if you wanted to get in a stronger relationship with someone, you know, being kind of moving around, you'd almost need like a, um, what's the, like a caravan style relationship. Yeah. And people do that. I know. I've seen it. I know. That's the dream. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is, that is hard, dude. Dating's hard on the road. I still, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what I've always done with date, like I've never been someone to put a lot of energy into dating. I've never really tried the dating apps. Nothing against that at all whatsoever. It's just not my my way. I've always just kind of gone through life. And when I cross paths with someone awesome and it naturally goes that I'm direction. The same way, man. That's how my relationships have yeah. all gone. But it doesn't work when you're when you're here for two months and then you leave and then you don't go back to that place for a year. Right. So um yeah, I, I think I'm kind of I think I've kind of accepted that like that probably won't be a part of my life in any major way until I shift to a different lifestyle. Who knows? I could be wrong, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. And that feels okay. You know, like I'm good doing my thing. And like I said, this time feels like about me and me putting down a foundation for my future and, and really growing and building things that are going to last and yep. give me a lot of joy. And um, yeah, and, and maybe a romantic partner is not a part of that right now. I don't know, but it no, is tough. I, I'm like amazed at people that do it. I mean, people, the caravan thing seems ideal because I'm blown away at the couples that live in like a small Astro van together. I'm like, dude, yeah, <laughs> with a dog, you know, I'm like, how? That was us, man. We were in a oh. small little camper, a dog and my wife. It's a very small world. Yeah. And on a rainy day, man, it's a small world. Yeah. And so it's tough. And, and we love each other. We're, we're the we're best friends in the world, but right. it's nice to have a separate wing in the house sometimes, you know, I'm just be real with you. It's just how it is. Right. And so I don't know how people to do like it either. Be able to walk into a different room. Like you yeah. can't. You to can't have even... an argument in a camper is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there. You in just it. like turn the other way. <laughs> it's the worst. So yeah. No, I, I don't. I cheers to people who do it too. I know a few couples who are a long time on the road and it's that that's a relationship, man. It really is. It's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. If you can do that, you can do anything. So wait, so you said you were thinking about settling down maybe in Washington. Would this be back in your hometown, Wenatchee? Wenatchee, yeah, I, I think Wenatchee? so. Okay. Um, possibly, which is weird. I never I never thought I would want to move back home, you know? Nothing against it. It's, it's just, beautiful. It just like, I don't know. I, I, I think I had a sense that like the world's too big. The yeah. world's too big to like end up where I started, yeah. you know? But um, home calls you back, man. I feel yeah, it a little it just, bit the older it just I get. like that area ticks a lot of the boxes and it it doesn't tick some of the boxes, but when I factor in having the opportunity to travel in the summer and the winter and kind of get out of there when I want to get out of there, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's pretty ideal. That sounds pretty great. And I would maybe rather live in Leavenworth or Kashmir just to feel like I'm in a slightly different scene, you know, and, and, and not right in the town I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, but with housing costs, that might not even be practical. And Kashmir is that town in between, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. 
What's it like there? I mean, are there people our age? You're in your early 30s, right? How old are you? 33? 32. 32? Mm-hmm. I'm 37. What, what's the uh, demographics like there? I mean, I toured around a little bit when I was in the area, but I didn't get a strong sense of what it's like. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the east side of the mountains uh-huh. and um, generally pretty conservative, but like, I mean, I say that like it's a, a bad thing. I mean, it is what it is. A lot of like orchardists and agriculture yeah, there, that's yeah. that's where it came from, right? right? So there's a conservative bent to it, but it's changing. It's There's a lot more young people moving there. There's okay. a lot more going on for young people. Um, demographics, like mostly white and Hispanic. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a big Latino culture there. Yeah, I meant more age demographics. Like Age, is it, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean- I, like it, it's changing. When I go back, I still feel like there's not a lot of people my age, mm-hmm. but it's growing rapidly. And I, I think it's going to be a lot like Bend, um, which I love. Like mm-hmm. I love Bend. And I think it's just maybe like 15 years behind, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's, it's heading that way. There's the, the thing is there's like a ton of recreation. So there's the For same sure. things that draw people to Bend, Oregon, um, from California. Like people are going to Eastern Washington to be able to mountain bike and to, ski and to be able to rock climb and yep. you know things like that yeah Stay i mean we river. were joking offline before we started this i mean i mean where i live now i love to climb in the outdoors but age demographics definitely skews older here mm-hmm. in st george it's a traditional retirement community yeah um but that's also changing i mean the west is changing so dramatically right now do you feel have you been frustrated to, i mean you've talked about wanting to own a home at some point have you been frustrated to see like the growth in home prices over the last two years no, I just haven't been thinking about yeah. it very hard. That's my coping mechanism. I'm just not paying close attention to it because it'll, it'll stress me out. No, I don't know. I don't feel quite ready. So I haven't really been like yeah. shopping. I haven't right. really been checking prices, yep. but I just happened to recently, like looking at, at Washington and um, from the very little research I did, like, you know, trying to find a place in Leavenworth or Kashmir, it's like, you're looking at $600,000 for a house. Oh, easily. And in Wenatchee, it's, there's still... A huge range. There's okay. still stuff in like the 200 range, you huh. know? So that's, yeah, I don't know. But it, it's interesting because as you're asking me about the demographics, I think that is something that kind of pulls me more towards like Leavenworth area. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more young people there, I think. Okay. Are, they want to be in the mountains. Right. They want to like be able to trail run out their back door and things like that. Do people who live there, are they usually kind of like the digital kind of remote worker kind of scene or is there a, what is the community there? I mean, it just seemed like such a tourist place, you know, it's got right. the whole Bavarian, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, so I, I honestly don't know. I mean, my friends that live there, teachers, um, just pretty normal jobs, you know, a lot of people work in tourism, but I, there is a lot of money there. So I suspect, I suspect that people move there and they already have money or some people are probably tech people. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't really know. Yeah. I think I met one guy who was tech okay. who lived there locally. You may know him. I'm not sure. So you've been so, you know, you're, you're busy with the nugget. You put an episode out once a week and I just told you I was super impressed. I mean, cause I know how draining it is to track down guests and do all these pre-calls. Do you ever feel like you're in a cycle you can't get free of? Do you ever feel like <laughs> obligated to keep banging this thing out? Yeah. I, I, I told someone not too long ago that sometimes I, I feel like I'm strapped to a wagon that's being pulled by horses. That's like flying down a mountainside yeah. and I'm just like holding on for dear life. So, so, <laughs> sometimes yeah. I feel like that. Those are on bad days. It's not always that dramatic, but I mean, in reality, I know that I could, I know that my schedule's arbitrary, you know, like no one is holding 
um, my feet to the frying pan and telling me like, you have to put out an episode every Monday. In the last two years, I've taken a couple Mondays off in December to give myself mm-hmm. like a holiday vacation. Yep. And that's actually been massively helpful for seeing that like the world doesn't stop, you know, like I don't put out an episode. No one yells at me. Like people, no one even says anything, you know, like I don't hear from anybody. And then when I come back in January, people are like, oh, sweet new episode, you know, like it's fine. So that's been really nice to kind of have that in the back pocket. Like if I really need a break, if I'm really like burnt, I can take that break. I can go on a climbing trip to Spain or something and like probably not stress about having an episode every week. But it feels like a time of investment, you know? Like mm-hmm. I think I think the consistency deciding to put out an episode every Monday and the accountability that that gives me, yeah, I think totally. that has been the single most powerful decision that I've made with growing this thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you ever feel like there's other projects you want to work on that you can't because the nugget's kind of like this thing you got to keep feeding? Or do you feel mm. totally content just working on this right now? I feel content working on it for now. Okay. I mean, there, there's other things I want to do, but so I, I don't I don't think I want this to feel as consuming as it does now for like the rest of my life, you sure. know, for decades and decades. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of content for those things. Like music's one, you know, like I'd yep. love to, we talked about this today. Like I'd yep. love to put more effort and time into the craft of making music, like producing music. I think that that would be so cool. And um, for people that, that don't know my story, I was a music major in college and um, that's always been a big part of my life. And it's kind of been like on the back burner for a decade mm-hmm. since climbing took over. But so I'd love to return to that, but I kind of think of that as like a future career. Like mm-hmm. I might have a decade that I would go really deep on that but I have many decades left. I don't have to do it right now. Like that's something that's been really helpful for me in general in, in life recently is to remind myself that I don't have to do all the things I want to do right now. Life is long. Life yep. is long. Yeah. So if you were to get an employee, like what's the first thing about this process you would unload? I mean, because it's a lot of work. I can tell people who don't know. I mean, like this is the best and funnest part of it. Yeah. And then it's like making the damn show notes page yeah. and all the links and blah, blah, blah. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah. So, and kudos to doing, an, like I said, an interview every week. So what would what would be the first thing you'd want to get rid of? Well, I already did. I mean, I mentioned Stevie, like, yeah. you know, she helps me with social media and that's been huge. Like I, I was actually planning to offload the editing because mm-hmm. that was the most, that's like the single that's most the time, time consuming, consuming yeah. piece. But I just felt uneasy with that. I, I thought about that. I even talked to a couple people and like interviewed a guy, great guy. Like he'd probably do a great job, but I just felt uneasy. Like there's so much of me in the show and there's, I, I really think part of the craft of making a good podcast is the editing 100%. for me. And I, I even interview in a way that kind of relies on editing, you know, <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. yeah. <laughs> I really built it in. And People so don't know how the sausage is made. There's a bunch of snorts yeah. and grunts and <laughs> over talking over each other. And, and like, yeah. hold on a second. Let me catch my, let me collect my thoughts and yeah. read this totally. thing in front of me real quick and plug in my computer. Yeah. So, um, I held on to that and I, I'm really glad that I did. And offloading this thing that always felt like a huge chore has been awesome. Cause she's way better at it than me and she's way faster at this stuff than me. And it just, 
like, I, I don't feel as attached to the outcome, you know, like she can share really good posts on Instagram that get a lot of engagement and help grow this thing and create value for people, mm-hmm. for, for people by sharing, you know, nuggets from the podcast. But, um, I don't, I don't, it, it's separated from the interview, you know, like it doesn't feel like it's directly impacting the podcast product. So that's been great. The next one, if I were to hire someone else or a full-time employee, it'd probably be for like admin. It'd be like admin and scheduling, mm, yeah. um, stuff like that, which feels a little weird because climbing's still so small, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's it's really cool that most of the time I'm like literally texting a famous climber yeah. to have them on the yeah. show. Yeah. Um, and, and it just makes, immediately makes us feel like acquaintances, friends, and you know, it, it, it creates this level of like connection and comfort. Right. So I don't know, but. I mean, if you're anything like me, most of your scheduling is built around weather and your climbing schedule exactly, anyway. Exactly. So <laughs> you don't want to pass that <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I'm like, is involving one more person going to help or is it just going to make things even more complicated? <laughs> yeah. And there, th- that's really a thing. Like I've been thinking about this lately a lot is like, I have this almost obsession with improvement and challenging myself and growth in all things. Right. And that is there that I feel that in the podcast as well, but like, how big do I really want to make this thing? Like, I don't really want to make it big enough that I have to have a team of people Mm, because that's my favorite thing about it is that I can go climb and then interview someone after climbing in the evening. And they totally understand because they also want to go climb. Like that's (laughs) the best, you know? So how much of that is like, true desire and how much of that is like, this is actually going to make a better thing for people mm-hmm. versus just societal conditioning, like yeah. more, 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 yeah. you know? Yeah. So I've, I've been kind of, yeah, just kind of thinking on that and, and just kind of chewing on that idea a lot recently. And I don't have any answers yet. So why was social media the obvious first thing to cut? Because I hated doing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I decided, or I realized that, um, the Instagram in particular was a really uh, valuable marketing tool. Yeah. You know, because the way that I've been able to grow this thing as much as I have is by leveraging the fame of the people that I have on. Sure. Right. Like I sure. have Jonathan Segrist on. If he's willing to share a post about our episode, that's awesome Huge. for me. And that taps into like the perfect audience. Right. So Instagram's the place that people share that kind of stuff. So I realized. Like, I think initially for the first year, I was just like, I would post once when an episode came out and I would post a second time with like a cool picture of the guest. Mm-hmm. That was it. It was super simple. And at some point, I, I can't remember, I can't remember what the impetus was, but I, I think I just, um, I actually invested in a podcast course, like to turn your podcast mm. into a business. I okay. think that's where it came from. But I just realized like, there's a real opportunity here to use this tool, get more out of this tool, to create more value for people on this other platform. And that involves like putting out a post every single day. And so I started doing that. And about a month into that, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't either, man. And I, I mean, I was scheduling everything. I was auto scheduling, but it was like an entire day to plan out the post Seriously? for the week. And it would just crush me. I just... Yeah, it just was like fighting back every step of the way. So I found someone that could do it better. And it's like, yeah, it's like one of the best decisions I've made. I'm with you. It's the bane of my, because I'm not a big fan of social media, period. 
I didn't have an account for many years until I started this platform and kind of re-engaged it unwillingly kind of just because I knew, you know, that's where people learn about things and it's a great way to market what you're doing. But um, yeah, it's always been an uphill battle for me and it's not my strong suit. It's not where I'm good, but it's, you know, it's something to do. Interesting. Um, Well, maybe along those lines, I mean, because you're so interested in self-improvement and I know, you know, we consume a lot of the same information, read things from the same people, you know, a lot of self-improvements, not so much saying yes to things, but saying no to other things. So what are some key things you say no to in your life? Mm, Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And it's timely because just very recently, I kind of hit like a, like a threshold moment, like, Mm. okay, I'm drowning. I'm Mm. drowning in the, the incoming, especially like I, I, you know, more than ever, I get emails, I get, you know, texts, DMs and things like that. And I realized that I can kind of convince myself that every single one of those things is like a to-do list item, Mm, right? It's like something that needs to be addressed. And so I think the, the biggest thing has been saying no to letting myself treat all the little things as obligations. Mm. I don't actually have to do them and, and really just kind of simplifying down to know what are the truly important things? Like, what do I actually care about getting done this week and this month and this season? You know, that's kind of my filter, I guess. I'm yeah. not directly answering your question. No, but. I mean, it's, it's a really real thing. I mean, cause I've also prided myself prided a word. I take pride in helping people, but then you get, it comes in waves, but sometimes you just start getting lots of questions and they're complex questions. I'm like, my God, that could be a whole podcast episode or a whole blog post. And I really want to help people, but sometimes you just have to, that's been a struggle for me as being like, yeah, I got to you know curb this in some way. Cause I could just be spending all day responding to emails. Right. Right. How do you do that? Because I can tell you, you know, you like reaching out to people, you like interacting with people. How do you manage that? Do you have any tips? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Asking man. for a friend? I don't know. No, seriously. I mean, uh, it, it, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And I actually just read a great book that's been um, incredible. It's okay. been a, another reframe. You know, it's been super helpful with this. 4,000 Weeks by, mm, that sounds by Oliver Berkman. Okay. And he, um, incredible book. The subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. Yeah. But it's not like a productivity book in the traditional sense. This guy was a productivity junkie, similar to what we're talking about, Mm, like obsessed with getting better at emails and like, how am I going to batch this? And when am I going to, you know, auto responses and all this stuff. And he, I think he, the takeaway from the book is like, he reached a point where he realized I'm getting really good at doing a lot of the stuff that doesn't actually matter that much. And by getting more efficient at it, I'm creating more of it. You know, it's like cutting the head off and to grow back. It resonated really strongly with me. So his, his kind of takeaway from going through this experience in his own life was like, the key is to just not let yourself worry about that stuff, not let yourself stress about it. And, and, surrender to this idea that like, you're never going to feel like you're on top of all the things. You're just never going to reach that. We're all chasing that feeling, but we never actually get there. So just stop trying to get to that feeling. It's amazing how often acceptance is the, uh, I don't know, the end of the story for a lot of things. It's like, I think we're always chasing a 10 out of 10 life experience. Yeah. And I'm always obsessed with this notion that came out of some studies that 
that so many people, no matter what they have in life, always seem to report, and there's exceptions to this, of course, but a lot of people report a seven out of 10 life satisfaction. People at the top of the socioeconomic ladder and people at the bottom, they kind of normalize to this. And I don't know, it's so easy to always be like, okay, well, I'm going to do this a little bit better, but you just kind of have to accept that maybe seven out of 10 is as good as it gets some days. (laughs) And it's really hard to do. It's very hard to do. Yeah. It sounds really, it sounds really negative, but like, even when you're, even when your life is just awesome, it's shocking how quickly you normalize to exactly. it, you know? You kind of forget all the awesome things. Right. Yeah. It, you just lose perspective. And yeah, I don't know. Um, to answer your question more directly, I'm actively trying to get better at being flaky. Okay. <laughs> Not flaky. Yeah. That's the wrong word. But I'm I'm becoming that person that I'm creating that expectation that I'm not going to get back to you right away. Exactly. Yeah. And that was really hard for me because I was always that person that got back right away. And I always got back with like a really thoughtful, like not only being thoughtful about the question they asked, but like anticipating any of their other questions, you know, like that's how I would respond exactly. to these things. And these days I'm like, I'm just not going to get back to that. Or I'm going to sit on that for the whole week and batch all this. And I'll have one day per week where I knock out all of the texts yep. and emails and stuff. And um, it, it's funny because I've always really respected people that didn't answer me right away. You know, like it kind of creates this sense that like they have bigger, more important <laughs> things to do. True. Um, so it's funny that it took me so long to embrace it, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. And it's been really helpful, like getting better at being comfortable with messages in my inbox that I haven't taken care of and letting them sit there yeah. and... and <laughs> You know, just yeah. just like sitting with that discomfort I'm a little bit. I'm just like you, man. It's really hard. Yeah. I've been trying to do the same thing. <clears throat> and we talked about Cal Newport already, but for those that aren't aware, he has a really good podcast that I just recently discovered. And um, he talks about this a lot. It's not about not being communicative. It's setting expectations around when you'll be communicative. And is that, yeah, when you will communicate. And it may not be instantly. And, and like a lot of, he gets emails from folks who are, um, maybe contractors who, who serve a client and they're like, my client always wants me to respond immediately. He's like, well, that's because you've set that expectation. He's like, if you say, hey, we're going to have this weekly meeting and I'll share all our findings and that's when you'll hear from me, then they accept that. Mm. But they don't have to know that you'll answer the phone every time they call at three in the morning or whatever. And so totally. I found that really practical and I've been trying, trying to embrace that as well. Um, not fully successfully yet and just be like, because I'm just like you. If a text comes up, I'm like, oh, you know, must respond right now. Yeah. But it's a hard change to make, but you just have to accept that you'll have some unread emails, you'll have some unread text messages and you should live with that. Yeah. I, that's valuable. I appreciate that. I, I think like just really deeply internalizing that idea that like we're, we're never actually going to feel like we got everything done. Yeah. You know, like I don't, that's really obvious to say that, but yeah. I think I've realized recently I've been doing that. I've been chasing that feeling of like, I finally did all the stuff. I finally, I've been doing that with my climbing. I've been doing that with my consumption of information, with podcasts, with books I've been meaning to read, mm. with movies I've been meaning to watch, with people I've been meaning to connect with and, you know, everything. Mm. And I had a conversation with um, Paul Robinson recently. I was in Waco and I was doing homework for that conversation. And Paul has done more than a thousand boulders v 11 and harder. Probably the first person to do that. Probably. No one knows for sure, but probably. But 
you know, Paul goes on a trip to Waco this winter and he's still just climbing tons of V11s, 12s, 13. Like he's still just doing more. And it just really hit me like, oh, it never stops. No, you, you never, you, you never, you're never satisfied. done. You're yeah. never like, cool, check. I did all the cool hard climbs I want to do. I'm, yeah. I'm good now. So I was trying a project at the time and I was feeling really stressed about the fact that I hadn't done it yet because I was aware that it was keeping me from all these other things I want to do. Yeah. And it just like, it really hit me like a light switch moment. Like, okay, this is actually a choice. I can either be chasing that feeling that I'll never actually get to all the time, day in, day out, season in, season out. Or I can just realize that I'm never going to feel like I did them all and actually stop chasing that and just start enjoying the process. And it was just like this wash of relief. Like, (laughs) oh, as soon as I send this V10, I'm just going to pick a different one and start the process over. So like, I better enjoy it because that's my life. Like I'm just out here trying these things. So I better enjoy the process. It's so easy to forget that too. I mean, you know, I'm the same way as you. You'll have this project and you're like, all that matters is doing this thing. I'll be nothing if I don't do it and I'll be everything if I do. And then you do it and you feel cool for like a day. (laughs) And then you go right back into the same cycle of, oh God, okay, I got to do this and now I got to find another one. And it, but it doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about one to climb 14A. I know that's been a big deal for you for a long time. Yeah. But you you probably know, given this discussion, that you'll do it and then you'll be like, okay, well, now I got to find another one. Right. So, I mean, so I guess why bother? Is it just because you want to just keep improving? Yeah, it's the it's the way that those goals change your life and change mm-hmm. you as a person that I think make it worthwhile. That's the why bother. Yeah. You know, it's not like when I think about the climbs that mean the most to me, a lot of them are my hardest ones, not because they're the highest numbers, but because they took the most investment and I had to change in some way to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, like those yeah. are the ones that it's true that really sit with me. It's like like Eternia last summer, there's this boulder problem in Rocky Mountain. Mm-hmm. It took me a month. It took me like 11 days over a month. Wow. And just, it's an upper chaos. So, the, I mean, for people that are listening, the short version is it's a huge ass hike. Monster hike. <laughs> into the mountains. And then the pad situation is a nightmare because it's talus and it's like a long mm-hmm. boulder problem. It's just a ton of work. You're at like 10,000 feet or something. Yeah. yeah. It's but but like coming out of that, knowing that I did that, like I was the type of person that was willing to go up there 11 different days and go mm. through all that, like that actually changes how I feel about myself in mm. some cool I way, like you know? And um, anytime you have to try something really hard, make all the progress, learn what you're lacking, go away and train and address that thing or use other rock climbing to address that thing come back a different version of yourself and then you can do it. Like those are the, like that process is just kind of, in, in a way it's like what it is to be a human, you know? Totally. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We're both into performance rock climbing, trying to do hard things. Do you find you can sustain that year round on the road? Do you need, I know you've talked about taking breaks for training, like in a gym for a month or whatever, but do you ever just go and like, I just need to go to some place and just bang out five, nine multi-pitch and just have fun. I mean, do you ever feel the need for anything like that? I think I, I think I should. I, that's where I I'm think at I right should. Now. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think climbers are nuts. 
Seriously, like what? <laughs> what other sport is like just going from like hard performance back to hard training, back to different type of hard performance constantly, twelve months a year? Like yeah. no one else does that. Nope. You know, I'm with you. So I think I probably should. It's really hard for me to do that. I do change modes. You know, like my <laughs> my version of that. And actually, like, it did kind of work. It felt like a recharge. But I was back in Washington for six weeks mm -hmm. in the fall. The weather was crap. I got to climb quite a bit. But it was like these really short little missions in the evenings um, when it was dry, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of rest days. I didn't do anything physical on my rest days. I'd just go on walks, hang out with my family. Um, it was way less, like, hard charging than my normal. And that mm -hmm. felt really good. You know, like it's, it's okay to have a, a couple months where you're not like hitting the training and hitting the performance and like putting your mileage days in and all this other stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to go from like one type of hard to a different one. And I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like maybe I should try to figure out how to take like a month off a year and hmm. go on vacations or go on trips that aren't performance climbing trips and maybe i'm climbing maybe i'm climbing five nines like sure. you said but have you yeah. done like any on your whole time on the road have you ever just like i'm going to drive to this location and just hang out it has nothing to do with climbing i'm going to go to a national park and hike around for a few days have you done anything like that not really no okay yeah. i didn't get the sense you had i'm just I know. curious but i want to like i should you say that and i'm like that sounds nice <laughs> Well, I mean, the reason really I asked, nice. I mean, we were just talking about this today. I'm going to take but three life days. life is short and I want to do all these climbs, you know, I, but it's I, that same thing. It's, it, it's, it, I get wrapped, I, I get wrapped up in that and it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not the best thing. So I, I think that actually, I think you're asking this at the right time. Cause I think I'm, I feel like I'm kind of at a fork and I want to try a different path, you know, like plan that into my life a little bit more. So I actually do it. Yeah. Cause the big experiment I'm trying to run, cause for full disclosure, what it's, April 13th. So this is like prime St. George sport climbing season, like middle thick and the thick of it. Right. Um, but I've been feeling just kind of beat up and I feel like I'm kind of going through the motions like, okay, today is another hard climbing day. I'm going to go and work on projects, but it kind of becomes psychologically and physically demanding for me. And we kind of talked about this when we started just feeling tired and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go with my wife and take three days and we're going to go up to the mountains and just camp Escalante, see some canyons but man, it's really hard for me to do that because I'm like, oh, next week could be the week I do something. Or <laughs> is it guilt? You feel it's guilty? not. I just feel like there's only so many days of the season, even though I don't have a real job and I could climb any day I want. Right. But I still feel like the season's going to creep by, and this is April and it's prime season. So why would I dare go do anything other than climbing? I don't know. It's an experiment. We'll I'll report back and say how it goes. <laughs> like maybe I'll come back like with renewed psych and just bang out the rest of the season. Like because the seasons are long here. And I'm not used to that. I'm used to front range, like fall and spring where it's a more pronounced, shorter season. I could train in the gym and then have like a strong season and then I can take a break and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But here in the desert, the seasons are really long. And I'm just, maybe it's, I'm getting older. I don't know. I can't sustain that kind of level of peak fitness for three months. Or focus, right? Or like focus, yeah. Mental, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a mental grind. I mean, and that's like, that's really different place to place. I think it's a little stronger here than yeah. other places like there's a little bit more of a projecting culture here yeah and it's the character of the climbing too like yeah. these climbs just take a little bit more investment than some that's true that's true maybe not as much as like rifle but it's like kind of kind of similar a little you bit get to in, know in a way yeah. yeah 
Yeah, I I, I find that hard over a long term too. I kind of need breaks from that. And for me, sometimes that's just bouldering, like yeah. going out and just getting on more different climbs and getting on top of things. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, we talked offline. I mean, I went to, I spent the most of the winter just bouldering and I felt so refreshed. Mm-hmm. Even though I was trying hard the whole time, it was something different. It was a new input. And uh, yeah, that was that was important for me. Do you ever take like rest phases? Do you just take like a week of like no climbing or do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I, I kind of just, they just kind of happen. Okay. Like I'll have a... um. I don't really plan them. It just kind of happens with traveling. Like it's, you know, for for instance, if I'm leaving St. George and I'm going back to Washington, which I will be in two weeks, I'll probably have to work a few days to get the next episode, to get ahead for a week. So I don't have to like worry, worry about that. Then I'm going to drive. That's going to take two days. Then I'm going to a friend's wedding. That's going to be three mm-hmm. days. So it's probably realistically a week where I won't be like locked into outdoor climbing schedule. And when that happens, I tend to just kind of roll with it and err on the side of doing less instead of trying to like, mm. how do I stay on top of everything and still, you know, travel That's halfway across the, the country. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, another example is like I was back in Leavenworth and tweaked my wrist um, on a climb I was trying to do in November. And I just took five full rest days mm. until my wrist felt better. And like, man, a year ago, Two, three years ago, I would have never done that. Yeah. But yeah, I went back out, almost sent, went back, back out the next day and sent after those five days off. Oh, that's you amazing. know, it was like, oh, it's okay. It like, is. You, you don't like lose you, it all. You don't lose it all in five days. Yeah. I'm the same way though. And oftentimes when I come, that's what I'm hoping. I can take this like three to four or five days and come back and feel stronger than I did when I left having done nothing. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, since we're talking about working on the road, that's another thing I'm fascinated by because we found it really hard. And I already, I mean, you kind of built this on the road, so maybe it's all you know. But when I was used to a certain kind of level of productivity or Wi-Fi signal and all this stuff. So when I moved into a camper and spent six months or whatever on the road, I found it really challenging. So what has been your experience with just living out in a van, living in the woods, whatever, and trying to get work done in the way you do it? It's kind of a hustle. Um, every place is super different. You kind of have to find your system in each in each town, you know, in each in each setting. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things that works in my favor is that I am introverted. Hmm. Um, so my climbing days are obviously social because hmm. you're you know you're sport climbing with a partner or you're bouldering with friends uh, or there's just people there you know that you meet things like that. So I very often I'm like very hermit-like on my rest days. And maybe I'll wake up and like chat with people in the morning at the campground or have coffee with a friend or something like that. But then I kind of like hide in my van by myself for Hmm. most of the day. And if I have to, I might even drive somewhere where I can be off alone and not feel like lots of, not feel like I'm missing out on what's happening outside of the van, you know? Like some, some places are tough. Like I found that, if I'm in rifle and I'm in the campground, yeah, it's really hard to have a productive rest day. That's a good example with work, yeah. you know. But if I leave the canyon and drive to town and go to the library, then I can put my head down and pretend that I'm at work for the day. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it's that. It's um, the podcast. I, I really only need Wi-Fi like once a week. True. 
So I, I need I need my cell phone. I need good cell uh, good cell service when I do an interview, mm-hmm. or for pre interviews or scheduling stuff. And then I need like a good Wi Fi day to like upload everything and make the build the website for the week and do the show notes and everything like that. But the rest of the time I can do it in my van. I can do all the editing in my van without Wi Fi. And in fact, it's better if I don't have Wi Fi because I'm less distracted. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to like whack a mole my emails and stay on top of all that. That's true. So, but I mean, it, it's basically just like, it's either a climbing day or it's a work day. Hmm. And I don't, that, that can feel pretty exhausting. I think like something I've been thinking about is like, man, should I try to prioritize like having a true rest day once a week where I just don't do either of those things? It'd probably be good, but that's kind of my trade-off right now. You know, like I don't work 40 hours, so I feel really lucky. It's just sport climbing, you know, you know, it's like you leave at 10 in the morning, you get back at 7 PM. Yep. It's your whole day. Yep. So. Yeah. So what is your hour? What do you think you put into it? Um, I mean, I usually either climb three or four days a week and then I work all the other days. So it, it probably ranges from 25 to 35. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 20 to 35. Like I can kind of have a few weeks where I just work 20 hours a week and kind of keep kicking out episodes, Mm -hmm. but then I'll need to put in some weeks where I do a bunch of interviews and kind of catch back up. So that's a nice sweet spot. I think it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. Have you ever had any like just fabulous failures or like where you lost an episode or something or like forgot Ooh. to record? That's like my biggest <laughs> fear. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't had any big disasters. Okay. Okay, good. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I don't do this so much anymore, but um, like if I'm getting into an interesting topic with somebody or someone's telling me a great story, I'm like, checking my recorder neurotically. That's what I've been doing the whole time. (laughs) I'm like, did I hit a button? Did I hit the button? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you just get systems for that stuff. Like I double check. I have like, I I have rechargeable batteries and I charge them before every single interview. So they're a hundred percent. I've had some, I mean, I've definitely had technical issues. I've lost parts of interviews and had to edit around that. That's happened once or twice. Um, I had one like kind of near miss where I think I was recording I was recording something by myself. It was either a recap episode or like an intro for an episode or something. And my mic cable wasn't seated all the way. Mm. So it showed that it was like reading me, but it was like one twentieth of the volume mm. as normal. It wasn't totally connected. And it I could it was unusable, you know. So if that had happened to be when I was doing a live interview, it could have been. I had the same thing. Yeah. I recorded an entire solo episode for like 40 minutes and had forgotten to make sure it was my mic that was, so it was recorded on my laptop with just, and it sounded terrible. I hated it. So I didn't use it. Gotcha. So, just your thank, built-in microphone. on. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a built-in laptop microphone. <laughs> yeah. I sat here and talked into the microphone for 40 minutes and I sounded <laughs> like I was two floors away. Totally. So I was like, no, but thank God it wasn't an interview because like that would have been so embarrassing. Yeah. So now whenever I start when I like replay a little segment, I'm like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just like, you just get your systems. Like now, I mean, Zoom's easy because I wear headphones the whole time. So I can hear myself yeah. the whole time. Right. So you get that immediate feedback. Like if something goes wrong. I mean, I've had like my equipment die and then had to restart it and ask the guest to like repeat that sentence. Right. But that's the nice thing about podcasting. Um, 
the way that you and I do it is that we can edit, you know, like yeah. I, 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 I'd be way more stressed about it if it was like a Joe Rogan situation. Yeah, the, the live stuff. I don't know how people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But yeah. Knock on wood. No disasters so far. Good to hear. What are you thinking long-term? I mean, like how sustainable is this project to you? Like, is this something you see as like a, I mean, I always hate that question. No one likes that question, but is this something you could do for three more years or five more years or? Yeah, I, I think yeah. I could. I think I could do it for a long time, man. I look. You got at, enough um, guests for sure. I think. I look at Tim Ferriss, and um, that's true. He, I mean, he's my. He, for people listening, he's like my single biggest influence and inspiration when it comes to podcasting. Yeah. I, I've made a lot of decisions. I, I haven't had to make a lot of decisions because I just do what Tim does, you know. And I think he does an amazing job. Um, very different type of show, obviously, very different uh, niche, but he's coming up on like 600 episodes, hmm. you know? Wow, that's and true. that, I mean, you know, for, for, for me, that would be like 12 years worth of episodes. And I can kind of see it because, um, you know, I get asked this a lot, like, are you going to run out of guests? Are you going to run out of things to talk about? Things like that. But like, do we ever get sick of going out for a drink with a friend and chatting? Like, that's what it is to be a human, you know? And there's so many different, stories out there. Like, I think I started out being really interested in mentorship and like seeking knowledge from people. And I still am, and I always will be, but I'm becoming more and more interested in the stories, like people's yep. human stories and them sharing who they are. And I mean, I haven't met two people yet that are remotely similar. So I don't think that ever gets old. Yeah. Well, and there's still probably at least 10 people I can think of right now that you could have on every single week and people would be like, cool, that guy's back on or yeah. that woman's back on. <laughs> yeah. like, and we probably could think of the same people. I mean, people just always want to hear what they have to say, even if right. they just did an interview last night. Right. So I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think you've got guests for days. You're fine there. And yeah. we're, you know, humans, we're really bad at learning lessons the first time. Repetition so, is key. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, like, because I, I, I catch myself thinking that, like, oh, I've already done an episode about that, you know? But, like, man, how many times have I had to hear things before it got through my thick skull? Like, oh, I'm God. still relearning the same basic, basic lessons. Like, I just completely revamped the way that I hangboard. I've been doing this for, like, a decade. And I'm like, oh, I think this is actually a way better approach than what oh. I was doing. You know, after I mean, a hundred yeah. conversations about it. I mean, I get frustrated. I talk about the same four things over and over again. And I'm like, how am I going to dress this up? But then you've always got new people coming in who haven't heard it. Right. Maybe, I forget that too. Yeah. And you, you yeah. think that everyone who listens to your podcast has heard every single episode. It's probably not true. You're you've probably the only got, one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> me and probably my wife who I asked to listen to them all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, you, I'm probably got, the only one that's listened to every episode of my podcast at this point. Yeah. So I, I think you'll be fine there. Um, Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to ask you about music. You've mentioned it, and I didn't know that about you early on, that you had this music background. Um, just so you, you you like playing instruments, and we talked a little bit offline. You're mostly guitar, right? Um, yeah, voice was my main instrument. That's right. And then I, I picked up guitar to be able to accompany myself. And then, I, I mean, I played piano as a kid, so that's kind of been there. And yeah. then I studied piano more because I became a composition major. So it was like all music music theory right, and right. Um, keys is kind of like the writing tool, you yep. know? So piano was just like learning how to write other instruments exactly. and parts and stuff. Yeah. Was it a jazz background? No, just classical. Classical. Piano. Okay. I wish I'd studied jazz. Me too. Yeah. So what's like a go-to album? Like, I don't know, like that Island Alone album. 
Do you, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here. Hmm. Like, <laughs> that's getting harder to answer. There's so much good music out there. It's a totally unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could answer it myself right now. Yeah. I'll give you a few. Um, Please, yeah. Because I go deep, man. Like, I, I mean, this will kind of show people my like eclectic it's like just kind of random my my taste and i actually really like some very popular stuff which i think it's funny when people like poo poo pop, pop music. music you know if it's good it's, it's if good. it's good it's good exactly exactly, exactly. so billy eilish is a huge one for me ah, nice. um, i love her voice i love her harmonies and i love phineas as a producer i think he's huh. brilliant like Interesting. he made those albums in his bedroom. I'm not super familiar to admit. I got to check it out then. I've been a little slow in the uptake on that. It's just interesting. Like the, every song, here's something that I that I really latch onto with music. Like I, there's a, so much good music out there, but it needs to, like I need to listen to an album and remember specific moments and songs and harmonies and melodies and um you know, hooks and things mm -hmm. like that, beats from the music. It can't all just be, there's so much music out there that's just like good, but not memorable, right? right? So right. what she does and what they do really well is they create these very distinct, memorable textures and moments. Sweet. Um, and all my artists do, all my favorite artists do that. Like Leon Bridges is mm. another one, his Gold Digger Sounds album. And Sweet. the one before that, I can't think of the name of the I one before that, but both but yeah. of those. Um Kevin Garrett is probably one of my all-time mm. favorite musicians. And that's like kind of pop R&B soul. I'm not familiar with it. Um, who else have I been listening to a lot? I learned about this guy from Drew Mack, who lives here in St. George, but his, uh, the artist's name is Black, okay. spelled with an S. So, or I'm sorry, it spells with, spelled with a, it's spelled with a six. So it's oh. six L-A-C-K. Gotcha. Um, hip hop, hip hop kind of R&B vibe. But again, like distinct tracks, distinct songs, you know, with with lyrics and with um, melodies and hooks that like stand out to you. And you you find yourself like humming them in the car. That Perfect. sort of thing. I need some new stuff, man. I'm still living like 15 years ago. Nice. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of good music <laughs> yeah, from 15 exactly. years ago. There's like too much nowadays. Exactly. You can't even keep up with it all. You've been toting around a... Um, Little like mini piano, right? In your van that you say is neglected as my guitars, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bought I bought a keyboard, I think it was two winters ago around Christmas time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna one day a week I'm gonna play music. Yeah. And I'm gonna like record covers and like practice like producing good sounding covers because I have logic now and uh -huh. I can it just hasn't happened, you know. Yeah, I'm um, with you. But I'm glad I have it. Boat. I mean, I, the few times I have used it, it's been really fun. But again, it's just like I actually had a keyboard and a guitar in my van for a while, but the guitar didn't have really have a place. Like it was just, I would like set it on the bed during the day. And then when I needed to go to sleep, I would like move it to the floor <laughs> and then I'd move it back to the bed. And every time I did that, I just felt guilty. I was like, I know Fuck, I, ha <laughs> I haven't played this again. So the keyboard's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I don't let myself feel guilty about not yeah. playing it. So 
I had a guitar too, and my wife was just like, "This stupid guitar," because it was the same. We were towed. <laughs> it's so terrible. We had a tow it takes up so much so space. Like in and out of the car, into the camper, into the car, into the camper, and I never played it. Yeah, it's just this bulky thing, always in the way. She's it's like, not a good climbing this? rest day instrument. Either. No, like exactly. if your skin hurts or your fingers are sore, like it's not good. <laughs> that was the excuse I had. I'm like, my my skin's it's too true. thin. I can't play guitar today. Yeah, it's true. It really is, and it's like demanding on your forearms. Not as much as climbing, but it's something. Right. So, yeah. yeah. What about you? I want to ask you the same question you asked me. Like, do okay. you feel like your the Clipping Chains project, the blog, the podcast, how long do you want to keep doing that? How long do you want to keep doing this? We're talking on your yeah, show. Yeah, right it's now. a great question. There have been probably two or three times where I was very close to ending it, to be honest. And I've even pretty much said that on the website a couple of times. Um, it, it gets back to what I just like laughed at a minute ago. I do feel like I repeat a lot of the same fundamentals. I do think that, you know, smart personal finances is actually simple if you put the systems in place. And it gets hard to kind of keep that fresh, which is why I really enjoyed starting the podcast because it was a great new way to kind of get out of my own little world when I was just writing at a computer alone. And if I did interviews like I did with you, it was just an email exchange. It didn't feel as, this is far more fun, right? Like this is, adds a social element to it. Um, I do struggle with just talking about finance. I, I really love writing. I really love investigating things and researching, but I don't know how much I want to devote my life to talking about money mm-hmm. because as try as I might, it's still taboo. It'll always be taboo. It always feels like an uphill battle, especially when I've dedicated to speaking mostly to climbers. I didn't want it to be an echo chamber of just talking to the general public. There were enough people already doing that. So I intentionally picked a hard audience and it's still a hard audience. Um, I've been really impressed. Like I, you get a lot of feedback from people and you're like, wow, this is really changing my life. And that makes me feel great. But it's, it, it, it is hard at times to show up and keep talking about the same thing. And um, my dream would be, I've always thought like, like John Krakauer had the coolest job. Like he, like when he wrote like Into the Wild or some of those like really deep investigative stories where you're kind of a journalist, but you're kind of a novelist and you go into a subject for months and you just kind of bury yourself in that and you finally produce a product. Um, I think I'd love to do something like that, but I also really struggle with letting go of having like feedback every week, hmm. you know, and just living in a world where no one's paying any money to do what you do. No one's telling you're doing a good job. You're just hoping it works in the end after months and months and months of work. Hmm. I think that would be hard. Um, I don't know. It, it depends on the week. Some days I'm like, oh, I'm totally meant to do this. And then some days I'm like, I don't know. I'd like to get involved with other work. I don't think everyone should strive to just be an early retiree and just not work and think you can just climb and be happy. I don't think that's a winning strategy. I think you said so yourself, your earliest road trip. Um, where right. you were just climbing, you felt kind of directionless. Um, I think- I didn't take enough rest days because I was bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think that would be a really hard thing. I, I used to really um, glamorize like the early retiree life and just think like, oh, how bad could it be? I could just go rock climbing and rest and I'll just be like a pro climber who's not a pro. I'll just live their life, but I don't have to like be sponsored or anything. But to me, that's not enough. I don't know. I feel like a drive to do other things, to do important work, to be accountable to something. Uh, I just don't know what long-term it is, but maybe mm-hmm. it's this, maybe it is. I maybe keep, it's maybe it's talking more about that. Yeah. Cuz you've helped a lot of people achieve their own financial independence and or at least 
Get on the path. Get on the path. Yeah. yeah. But then I think everyone, you know, even the, the most successful people still end up in this with the, with the same challenge, with the same questions. Like, okay, now what? Like, what do I do to feel um, and, purpose, and that, like a sense of purpose in this life? You know, like we're all trying to figure out what that's all about. That's my biggest fascination. That's what I try and write about and talk about the most these days. I actually find it very unmotivating to write a post about something very nuts and bolts financial. I do it because I know people want to hear it and they want to learn about it. And I get questions about those things. Those are the hardest ones for me to do because I'm just not personally that invested with it. Um, I always said I wasn't going to be a nuts and bolts guy, but I do it sometimes. I'm far more interested in like why we're doing this. Like what Mm. are we I'm far more interested in like the psychology of like a lifestyle that we're chasing, which is why I was kind of hammering you on that for a while. And like, you know, cause I, I, I see people chasing lifestyles that won't create lasting happiness. And I always, I also often wonder like, is it even possible to have like true lasting happiness or is that just a pipe dream, you know? Mm. And so that's been like, that's, I think the last 10 years of my life is trying to figure out that perfect balance of work and play and, struggle and easy and rest and you know i don't know it's still a work in progress for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah what have you been reading lately what are you have any books you're excited about either lately or just ever just like you must read this book this is life-changing i mean that that book four thousand weeks was a big one that was that was a really important one for me um right now and it's one i plan to reread um Mm. and i was gonna ask you actually I think you've mentioned this publicly. One of your original ideas was to eventually write a book out of this project from the yeah. nugget, from your interviews. Yeah. Is that still on the table or is it? Yeah, it, it is. My yeah. plan from the beginning. So I actually read Tools of Titans. Right. And that's what inspired this whole thing. And I, I figured like, oh, my own podcast would be a great way to do research for the climbing version of this book. Right. What a great resource that'll be. So <clears throat> that's what kicked this thing off. And I had planned to kind of write each chapter as I went, you know, like do an interview, put out that episode, Hmm. write the chapter cliff notes version of that two hour conversation. And I haven't written any of those yet, (laughs) but, but, um, cause it's just too much. It's just one thing too much, but I, I do plan to do that. I think that could have a really clear vision for what that book will be. Um, and I think it'll be a really enjoyable process actually to kind of go back and reflect and and kind of organize all this information and um, kind of distill it down, make it more actionable. There's a lot of there's a lot I've learned through not only asking questions, but hearing what other people are confused about through mm-hmm. feedback from listeners, mm-hmm. hearing their questions when I do Q and A's and stuff. Like that's gonna inform the book a lot and sharing the sticking points in my own journey is going to inform the book in some way. Like these are the things that I was confused about for so long and help hopefully clear those up for a lot of people and save people time. So yes, it's still an idea. Um, but I think, I think what I will need to do is get to a point where I decide that it's time to do that and then make that the most important thing in my life for a year however long it takes, you know? And you might have to put the podcast on the back burner a little bit to do it. I don't know. I I don't know. I hope not. I hope I can keep doing both, but maybe at that point I'll be able to um, afford more help with the podcast. I don't know what that looks like, but you know, it's funny, something that Tim has been doing recently on his show 
It's just reposting old episodes. Yeah. Like Monday's episode is like a repost of episode 174, you know, because that was 10 years ago. Right. You know, so. Um, I think there's value in that. I've done that yeah. a few times with old blog posts. I haven't done it on a podcast, but I have been it busy week. I'll just be like, hey, people love this when it came out two years ago. I'll just put it back out. And people be like, hey, I never, I never saw that before. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's value too, because something that just started happening recently is that I've started getting requests for guests that I've already had on. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Like people That's aren't hilarious. like scouring the whole catalog at this point. You got a bunch of episodes. It's right. a lot to take in if you're new to it. Right. Like I've come to podcasts that are well-established, but like Cal Newport's was one I just discovered. He has like 180 episodes. I'm like- You're not going to start with episode one. Well, I will because I'm that guy, but (laughs) a lot of people won't. And that's exactly what I did. You'll be caught up in five years. That's what I do. But a lot of people will be like, just start cherry picking and read the catalog real quick and they'll not see that you interviewed, I don't know, Hazel Finley or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. Um well, then and I, I think I'd want to be in a house. Like, I think I'd want to have a home yeah. base, a home yeah. office and just like lock into a routine. So, so, you, you know, that would be like <clears throat> working really hard on the book training. Um, Cause that's way more time efficient than spending a lot of time rock climbing and then probably still doing the podcast, but just, just keeping it ticking over, right. you know? So yeah, it's, Still in the works, but I, I would guess like I, I'm at least two, three years away from really wanting to take on that project, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, just to make sure the climbers hang on all the way to the end, <laughs> not to steal your book thunder, but I mean, what are some like key principles after two and a half years of talking to all these people, super high level climbers, like whether it's diet or physical, like what are some of the basic principles? Like it's so easy to get lost in all the noise of the flashy new thing, right? Like but if you could have like, I don't know, three to five things that just everyone should be doing. Mm. Climbing a lot. Climbing a lot. Yeah. yeah. On rock. Yeah. On different types of rock. I mean, there's nothing wrong with becoming like a super specialist yeah. either. Like there are those people out there that like met um, Matt Gentile, mm-hmm. that guy, like he comes yeah. to mind. The roof guy. The roof yeah, guy. Totally. Exactly. The roof guy in Arizona. Like yep. that's his thing. He's amazing at it. <clears throat> nothing wrong with that, but... Um, the, the, you know, it's not, I think we get hung up on, I'll just speak for myself. I got hung up on this question forever of like, what's the best way? Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the wrong question. It took me a decade to really, really learn that, that that's the wrong question. So it's really like a, the right combination of things. It's being really consistent over years and it's probably a combination of some of the training things with a lot of time rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the training stuff should always be very, very relevant and specific to the person and their goals. Yeah. Right. Like I don't know any top climbers who deadlift consistently just for the sake of deadlifting consistently. Right. But if yep. they have that need, they'll spend some time on it until it gets better. And then they go back to mostly rock climbing. Yeah. So um, I don't know, like, Climbing on boards is really great. Oh yeah, I'm um, with you. climbing in steep on steep terrain, some of the year, I think is is really good. Um, bouldering is king. The Dave McLeod thing, you know. What are some other ones? How about this debate? I have this debate with some friends all the time, but focusing on big projects versus mileage, and not necessarily mileage like doing la- like lapping sub, you know, way easy stuff, but like 
things that are challenging maybe in a day or a few sessions. What's that mix for you personally? It changes all the time. Does it? Okay. Yeah. And it, it's like, it changes in the micro and the macro, you okay. know? And it's, I think both is really, I think both of those things fill different needs for you as a I climber and help you grow in different ways. And it's okay to kind of gravitate more towards one than the other. Yeah. Like I've been climbing with Joe Kinder and that guy at this point in his career, he's, he's just obsessed with finding new, cool, hard shit. Yep. And he just spends all his time yep. on this hard, cool thing until he does it. And then he goes on to the next one. It's true. And he's like, every time we're out there, he's like, man, I love climbing. <laughs> and I'm like, sick. Psyched. You know? yeah. But for me, I, I don't think I'm there. Like I like doing that sometimes, but I need to like climb new things, do I new do novel moves, yeah. like get on top of some stuff and feel that confidence boost. So for me, it's more of a mix, but it depends, man. It depends on um, how I feel, what I feel like I need. It depends on where I am. Like, yeah, some some areas lend themselves more to mileage than others. I've learned that, like, when I go to rifle, every time I try to Good do mileage yeah. rifle, I get super frustrated, and I just <laughs> feel like impossible. I suck. So it's like, I think you have to climb fourteen plus to do mileage in rifle. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends, but I think, um, I think most of the best climbers do a mix. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. Okay. Well, the debate continues. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. I, I agree with you. I think you have to do it. Honestly, I think sometimes you got to do the one that you've been doing the least lately sometimes just to mm. mix it up. If you feel stuck, I think a yeah. really good way to get unstuck is to switch things up. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, you can, you can take that sentence and apply it to just about anything. Like True. if you're stuck in your finger training, keep doing it, but switch it up. Do something yep. different. If you're stuck in your red pointing, then... Yeah, go on site for a while or do some Good quick point. ticks and things. But yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this has been really fun. Yeah. It has. Sweet. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the very end. If you enjoyed that conversation between me and Chad, be sure to check out more of his work. He's doing some awesome stuff at Clipping Chains. He's done a bunch of other great interviews on the podcast. And if you like blogs, he's got a really great blog as well with tons of great evergreen resources over there if you're interested in finances. So yeah, check him out, clippingchains.com or search for Clipping Chains on your podcast app. Also, before you go, be sure to check out Grasshopper Climbing. The Grasshopper board truly is my favorite of all of the boards and the one that I plan to purchase for my own house someday once I'm ready to take a break from van life. It's awesome. It's so much fun to climb on. So if you've been thinking about buying a board, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com to check this thing out. Also, don't forget to check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store. It's free. The free version gives you access to 75 different workouts created by professional coaches and badass climbers, Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training. It's super awesome. I've used it a bunch. Go check it out. And finally, be sure to check out FizzyVantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support my finger training and I can't recommend it enough if you're training your fingers. Head over to fizzyvantage.com, use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order and check it out. <laughs>
And that's it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. One thing I wish I'd said more in the interview with Chad is how much I appreciate the support that you guys are giving me. You guys are the reason that this thing is still going. I literally could not be doing it without you. So thanks for listening. Thanks for talking about the show. Thanks to those of you who are supporting financially. It means the world to me, and I appreciate it so much. Love you guys. Take care, and we will see you next time. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause